You're listening to Podcast Rescue. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and this is episode 32. Hey there, are you struggling with your podcast? Well, then let's change that. Here, we're going to share the strategies, tips, and tricks that you need to make your podcast a thriving part of your business. Welcome to Podcast Rescue. Hello, my fellow entrepreneurs. How are you doing on this fine and lovely day? Right now, as I'm recording this, it is snowing here in Michigan. And it's wonderful. I really wish I had a little bit more time in my schedule to do some more skiing, but things are filling up quickly. And so I don't think that's going to happen. And of course, knowing me, probably within the next few weeks, I'm going to start wishing that it were summertime uh, and that it was warmer, that I could get out of the house more. But, anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about you. I wanted to ask you how are your interview skills? Are you feeling good when you're doing interviews? Are you feeling a little bit lost when you're doing interviews? I asked this question because a few weeks ago, I interviewed the owner of a pretty popular ski resort here in Michigan. It's called Caberfe Peaks. On this particular trip, my, I decided to invite my really good friend Charles to come along for the ride. Now, Charles has a YouTube channel. He talks about vintage hockey goalie gear talk about niching down right so he understands the whole concept of you know putting out content and trying to build an audience and you know engagement stuff like that he really understands this world he just does video and i do audio and i thought it would be kind of cool to show him from a podcast perspective from an audio perspective how the sausage is made. How do I put together these episodes? And when I'm talking about these episodes, I am referring to my side project, which is quickly becoming my full-time uh, job, but I'm talking about ordinary people, extraordinary things. And also too, because he's really good with video, I thought, you know what, maybe he could help me actually shoot some video while I am there because I'm, I'm still kicking around getting into doing the video. Well, we show up at the ski resort meet the owner. We go into his office. I set up my gear, sit down. Charles gets the, gets the cameras going. We're now recording the interview, both audio and video. And I do the whole thing. And I'm sure at some point in time, the video from that interview will see the light of day. I'm just not exactly sure when. So we get done with the interview. And I personally am feeling pretty good about the interview, right? I thought it went really well. The owner of the place seemed to be spot on with, with his answers. Uh, there was nothing really that he, that he struggled with, but he gave some really good advice, really good tips, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I asked Charles, I'm like, hey, so what did you think about how the sausage is made? And the one thing he commented on, and he's actually talked about this now several times, is that he was really surprised that I didn't have a list of questions in front of me. He told me, you know, later on, he's like, man, I would have to go in there. I would have to have 12 or 15 questions prepared ahead of time because there's no way that I could do that. There's no way I could just sit down cold and conduct an interview. And that kind of surprised me out of all the things that he could have commented on. It was that. And I realized that this is the power of my interview framework, right? To be able to sit down just understand my framework and be able to conduct an interview right there on the spot, right? If somebody were to, if I was out somewhere and I happened to have my gear and I bumped into somebody like, let's say, you know, like the governor of Michigan or something. And she's like, you know, I have time right now to do an interview. I could literally pull out my gear, set it up, sit down and conduct an interview with her 
you know, without having to prepare questions ahead of time. This is the power of having a framework. And I've talked before in these episodes about how, of course, you need to have that framework to make sure that you're getting your clients the results that you're promising them. So what I want to do is I want to share a little bit about the different interview strategies that I have seen out there and how I came about developing my own framework. And it is my, my hope, my desire, my wish, uh, my intent that when this is all said and done and you've listened to this episode, that you'll be able to sit down and actually come up with a framework that works for you because that's the most important thing. So here's the first strategy that I have seen as far as interview questions go. You ask the same interview questions of every single guest. Now, I know that sounds a little bit odd. Why would you ask the same questions to every single guest? Well, actually, it might not sound odd. Maybe it's a little bit judgy on my part. This is something that John Lee Dumas does from Entrepreneurs on Fire. You can listen to his interviews, and he releases episodes every single day. But you can listen to his interviews, and probably 80 to 90% of the questions from guest to guest are exactly the same. Now, Entrepreneurs on Fire, I would easily put that within the top 1% of downloaded podcasts that are out there. It is crazy, crazy popular. When he does his interviews, he does them all on the same day. He does them all back to back. So I can understand why, you know, if he's releasing episodes every single day, he's doing all of his interviews all at once. I can understand why he has, you know, quote unquote, McDonaldized his entire podcast process, right? Turned it into a complete system. So this model works for him. His show is highly reviewed. Like I said, it's probably in the top. 1% of podcasts that are out there. His audience loves it. And you know what? I completely salute his success. This works for him. Goody. Now, back in the day, I was in this advanced marketing group. One person in our group, because we were all learning about podcasting and getting it out there. One person in a group decided to do this. He decided he wanted to come up with you know, 10 questions that he would ask the same questions of every single person that was on his podcast. And I understand why, because truth be told, he was beyond terrified to do a podcast. He was afraid of making mistakes. He was afraid of what he was going to sound like. I mean, you could just, you go back and, and you listen to the first episode of his podcast and you can literally hear in his voice how scared he was. Well, he sits down and he crafts these eight, 10 questions. I'll say 10 questions just for the, the sake of this episode, but let's say just 10 questions. And that's what he did every single episode going forward. And of course, the more episodes that he does, the more confident he becomes. And you can, you can actually hear it as he goes through his podcast episode. Now, his particular podcast was very hyper local. And his podcast was actually hit in that very local market. Now, remember, I talked about uh, before in episode, I believe it was episode 17 or 18, about the power of niching down using geography. This is so important, and so many people miss this. But because he was hyper-local, his podcast blew up. It was super successful. It really helped out his business. And I, like I said, I salute the success. you got to find something that works for you. My problem with this method is that I find it boring. Asking the same questions of every single person. Now, like I said before, I understand John Lee Dumas, he's got his daily show, my show is once a week. But the thing is, is that 
for me to be creative, because this is what I really love to do, I need a little bit of variety in there. If I start feeling formulaic, then I immediately tune out and I lose interest. There was a show in the 90s that was called Friends, and it was crazy, crazy popular, and it's still popular to this day. They just had some kind of Friends reunion show or something on TV not too long ago. Anyways, crazy popular show, and I'll be honest with you, I love that show too. And everybody was like, oh, you're Chandler, you're Chandler. You know, that just that just made me laugh because everybody always tried to identify themselves with one of the characters on the show, right? So mine was Chandler. Anyways, it gets to the end of season four. It's the cliffhanger and I'm watching it and the cliffhanger happens. And all of a sudden my brain hits me and says, you know, this is the same story that we have been watching for the last four years. It's the same plot line all over again. And it was at that point, I immediately lost interest and I stopped watching the show. There's no sense in me watching a show if I already know how it's going to end, right? I completely lose interest in the story. So for me, I know that if I'm getting bored, then I'm going to assume that my audience is going to get bored as well. Let's just put that out there, right? Because I know what I like and I know what I want to craft. And if people are listening to me, listening to these episodes, then they're not going to want cookie cutter either. So crafting questions ahead of time, the same questions to ask every single person out there isn't an option for me. Now, when would I recommend this to a podcast client? Well, I would recommend it to a podcast client as long as you, you know, number one, you love repetition. And number two, maybe you've never done an interview before and you're completely scared out of your mind. But the important thing is, and this is why I say this, is because the important thing is just to get started. Like the gentleman that was in my class a long time ago that was scared out of his mind, he started, right? This was the only way that he could get started. And for him, this method worked. So once you get started, you can always build on the success from that point forward and maybe feel more comfortable with putting a little bit variety in there and asking follow-up questions and things like that. The next interview style, research. Tim Ferriss has got the Tim Ferriss Show. And Tim Ferriss is an expert at research. How do I know? Because a majority of the time, the guest on his show, he will ask them a question and the person will say, wow, you've really done your homework. All right. This happened in an interview he did with uh, Hugh Jackman. And he asked Hugh this question. And Hugh actually said, oh, wow, I, man, you really, you really did your homework, right? So his podcast, Tim Ferriss Show, one of the most downloaded, most reviewed podcasts that are out there. He does so much research on every single guest, and he crafts this list of absolutely wonderful questions. He is really good at asking questions, and he'll, you know, depending on the person he's going to interview, he might have 10 questions, he might have 20 questions. I mean, and it shows because his podcasts can be 45 minutes, they can be two hours, but Tim is going to work through all those questions because he wants answers to all of those singles questions. So. I remember that he was doing this. He was, you know, really well ranked. And so here I am. I'm back in 2016, 2017, getting ready to launch my podcast. What I wanted to do is I wanted to be the next Larry King, right? I wanted to ask the hard hitting questions. I want to get people to share things that they don't want to share. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, the thing that I can do is I can do all this research Tim Ferriss style. But the problem is, is that a lot of people that I was having on my podcast, there wasn't a lot of information out there online. 
because they were all local people. I also was launching a very hyper-local podcast. So what I did, and I came up with this idea, I said, hey, let's do a pre-interview with each guest. So I say, hey, do you want to interview? Yes. Okay, cool. The first step is we got to do a pre-interview. So we would talk for an hour or maybe two. And I tell you what, it's a good thing I can type because I took all kinds of notes. I would just ask questions like, you know, like, where did you grow up? You know, what are, what is this? What is that? Da, 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 da. And I would just ask these questions and people would share it with me. And I would take notes and notes and notes. And this is why I'm saying sometimes it would take an hour or two because they'd ask me questions. I get curious about something and ask a little bit more. When I was all done with the pre-interview, I would spend probably maybe about an hour, maybe 90 minutes going through everything that I had typed up and coming up with a list of questions, typically 10 to 12 questions to ask in an interview because I knew that would get me to 30 minutes. Well, I have shared this multiple times before in this particular podcast. When I realized that it was taking me eight to 10 hours to do one 30-minute episode for my podcast, I knew something had to give. And when I took a look at where I was spending my time, one thing that I saw was that this entire pre-interview process was taking two to three hours. Now, I did not have eight to 10 hours a week to spend working on my podcast because my podcast is a part of my marketing strategy. It is not my business. I was still having to go out and do work and pay bills and get clients and do all that other stuff. So I did not have one day a week to burn on a 30-minute episode. And plus, on the flip side of the coin, with my podcast being on the smaller side, only getting a few hundred downloads per episode, I had to ask myself, is all this time that I'm pumping in, is it really worth it? Now, you take a look at Tim Ferriss, right? And somebody could say, well, yeah, it's obviously worth it. Take a look at Tim Ferriss. But the difference is, is that his podcast is his job, right? He was already a, a four times or five times New York Times bestselling author. You know, he made a ton of money online and selling businesses. Money wasn't his problem, right? He never had to worry about paying electric, the electric bill or the gas bill or anything else like that. But as I explained before, podcasting was a part of my marketing plan, right? It is not my business. It is not my job. So this interview strategy, like you know, doing research and, and doing all these things, I think that lasted for maybe 13 interviews before I was like, you know what, uh, this has got to change. Ironically, it would be my hero, Larry King, that would actually show me the light, which leads me to my third strategy, have nothing prepared. So I'm listening to the Tim Ferriss show, and one of the episodes that I pulled up was an episode with Larry King. I will tell you this right off the bat. I did not know that Larry King had a funny bone in his body. <laughs> but in this particular episode, when he was talking about his adventures in radio, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And I got to admit, I actually went back and listened to this interview multiple times, but I'm going to share with you why. During the interview, he actually said something that really struck me. He says, you know what? I don't have any questions for my guests prepared ahead of time. Completely floored. And then he goes and he says, you know, actually, the less I know about my guest, the better, because that leads to better questions. And I'm like, oh, tell me more, right? Just tell me, <laughs> tell me how you do this, right? And it leads me to the question, right? How do you come up with questions then? You know, obviously, you just don't sit there and look at the guest. Larry King comes up with these great questions and people answer them and he's crazy popular. So how do you come up with questions? Well, the thing is, you know, when the host of the interview asked him that particular question, he really couldn't explain it. 
he could he couldn't diagram it out and say, well, this is you know the anatomy of asking a good question and all this other stuff. But what he did was he gave examples of people who were you know like famous or infamous, however you want to put it, at the time that he would interview questions he would ask them. So for instance, he said, you know, if I had Islama bin Laden on my show because Islama bin Laden was you know all in the news way back when, uh, but if I had him on my show, these are some of the questions I would ask him. Now, I really struggled with this until it kind of hit me that, you know, you see somebody and they're painting, right? And they paint this beautiful, beautiful picture and you want to learn how to paint. So you walk up to them and you say, hey, can you show me how to paint? Now, they could probably show you how they paint, you know, maybe how they hold the brush or how they figure out colors or, you know, how do you convey emotion through colors or, or you know, something else like that. But when you do something so much and it becomes such a habit that you can do it in your sleep, sometimes it becomes really hard for you to turn around and try to explain to somebody how you do what you do. So I remember as a kid, my dad sat me down to teach me how to tie my shoes. And I was trying to do it and he was trying to explain it to me. And it was like, I was really struggling, right? I couldn't figure out what it was he was doing. So my dad actually had to get his shoes out, tie his shoes, untie them, and then retie them and actually like show me like, oh, okay, you got to, you got to put this loop and stuff and da, 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 because he couldn't explain it to me unless he was actually doing it himself. So what I did is I release, re-listened to that particular section of the Tim Ferriss show, uh, the interview with uh, Larry King. I listened to that you know, several times. The more I heard him talk and how he was asking the questions, I started to see patterns come out of what he was doing. So I would actually like sit down, I remember with a piece of paper, writing down all my notes and thoughts and anything else. Well, when I went back to the questions that I had created for my pre-interview and I kept them all, I cherry picked what I felt were some of the best questions that I had asked. And I was like, okay, let's reverse engineer it. You know, why were these great questions? Well, I didn't know it at the time because the term quote unquote framework isn't something that really entered my vocabulary until about two years ago. But at that time, I was actually creating a framework, right? A series of steps that someone could follow to achieve you know, a particular objective or a win, so to speak. Then on top of that, as this was going on, in my advanced marketing group, we were also studying the power of story and how story relates to marketing, right? We were talking about the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. What makes a story great? What makes people want to listen? to a story or want to watch a story, like if you're watching a movie. Now, when I do this and I put together my framework, right, I realize I'm like, okay, I got to do something that's going to kickstart the conversation, right? Something that, you know, everybody can relate to, but I need to do something that's going to kickstart the conversation, right? This is the part of the hero's journey. And because, and I say this and bringing this up again, because when I'm interviewing somebody, I already know where they are today. If I'm sitting down and interviewing somebody, like I mentioned before, the CEO of this uh, Cabaret Peaks, right? The ski resort uh, that is in Michigan. If I know, maybe I didn't bring that up earlier. Yeah. So anyways, I did an interview with the CEO <laughs> of Cabaret Peaks, if I failed to mention that earlier. Okay. Did an interview with him. So I know where he is today. But with the first two questions, I can gauge where they were. Because this is part of the hero's journey, right? Yesterday, yesteryear, I was here. Today, I am here. And where they were versus where they are is not a straight line at all. They've had to overcome challenges. They've had to overcome obstacles. 
And that's what I want to explore because that's the story, right? They, they want something. Your hero wants something that's important to them. To, to us as the viewer, we don't even care what that is. But we want to see them on this journey to be able to see them to succeed. So now understanding all this, I came up with an interview framework that allowed me to ask questions, but also at the same point in time, tell a story. And I felt it was solid. So here I go. I got, I got this interview framework. Now I'm going to go off and test it, <laughs> right? And I'm like, how can I test this unless I do an actual interview, right? Well, there was actually two things that popped up that I could do. I could actually test this when I go to parties and when I go on dates. So I can't tell you the number of times where I have gone on a date with a woman. We're having dinner and all of a sudden like the conversation lulls. I just, I don't know what to ask. I don't know what to say. So I thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity for me to use my framework and to interview them while we're having dinner, right? Dinner with meeting somebody at a party, right? I, I typically go to a party and I am not uh, the most extroverted guy on the planet, uh, but somebody introduces me to somebody else and I really don't have anything to say because I just met this person. So what do I do? I start to interview them, right? Because I have that framework in my head. So obviously I didn't say it was an interview. Like if I was sitting with this woman at dinner, I didn't say, oh, you know what? I'm going to interview you right now. I just did it, right? Applied the framework, start asking the questions. And then what I did is because I had that framework, I could actually build question after question after question, right? I got out there and I tested it. It was like, sometimes I would do, you know, I would practice this quote unquote interview with somebody and the conversation would go into a lull and I did not know what question to ask them next. So obviously this is a problem. How do I fix that? Right? How can I tweak that to make sure that there's never a lull in the conversation? Or sometimes I would ask a question and I would get maybe a 10 second answer or a 15 second answer when I really wanted an answer that was like maybe two or three minutes, right? So I would have to make tweaks as I was doing this. But the more I practiced it, the better I got with it. The more tweaks I made, the more the framework became absolutely robust. And when I got to this certain point where I was like, you know what? I feel confident that this would work. So then I went back to the podcast I had way back in the day and starting at roughly about interview 17, I tried out my new framework for that next interview. And you know what? It was amazing. I absolutely loved it. And I think a part of this boils down to, uh, I think part of this boils down to the 80-20 rule, right? You get you know, 80% of your results from 20% of your effort. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to knock the interview out of the park. So I was focusing on getting that last 90% or maybe 95% when in reality, only 80% was required, right? When you get to a point where good enough is good enough, that is okay. That is where you can stop. If you're chasing perfection, that's more about you and pleasing you. Pursuing perfection is not going to make anybody else happy. It'll make you happy and it'll require a boatload of work to get there. But for your clients, for your, for your audience, whatever it is, that 80% point is good enough. So my framework easily gets me to that 80% point. So, and this is why, like, you know, I get really burned out when, you know, I listen to some interviews or whatever it is. And what people do is they actually go to Google and they'll actually type in what are good interview questions. You know, and I can tell it when I'm listening to these interviews and I'm putting them out there and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, you know, if, if you were stranded on a desert island, what book would you take with you? I mean, what does this have to do with the, 
with anything for the interview, right? I want to hear more about this, you know, particular person. And believe it or not, when I've gone out and, and have been interviewed on other shows, people have asked me these questions. Or sometimes they'll even ask me for the questions that they want me to ask them ahead of time. And to me, I find that, you know, well, like I said, everybody does their own thing. You know, I, you know, I appreciate it, but I will tell you that there's a part of me that thinks as, as a professional courtesy that that kind of breaks my heart a little bit. You know, if, if you are just throwing me softball questions, I don't think it's going to make for a really engaging interview because you are representing your audience. So you need to be asking the questions that your audience has. So for me to try to figure out who your audience is and what their questions is, is almost impossible because I am focusing on my audience and the questions that they have. And I am trying to answer their questions. Now, every blue moon, right? When I'm talking about this 80-20 rule, every blue moon, I'll do an interview Well, I will hit like 90 or 95% and I love it. But my framework gets me to that 80% of the point and requires very little thought on my part because I've done it now. Like for my you know, my full-time podcast, I should call it, not my, not my side gig podcast, but for my full-time podcast, I've done a hundred interviews. I got my framework down, right? I know exactly what it is. And when some people are more open to sharing, it allows me to ask very deep questions. But I know that every single time that I sit down, like I shared before, like if the governor of Michigan said, hey, Cliff, I've got 30 minutes. Do you want to sit down to do an interview? I know with a 100% certainty that I will hit at least 80% on that interview going out the door, right? At least I know it. Every blue moon, you know, because my, you know, my side podcast is now like my full-time podcast, I will actually do a little bit of research if I know next to nothing about the person that I'm going to go out and I'm going to interview. The governor of Michigan, I actually know some things about her because she's been on TV and, you know, she, you know, a lot of what she does is, is appearing in the newspaper and you just get it through normal osmosis. But recently I did an interview with somebody that I never even heard of their company. I didn't know anything about him at all. And so he actually gave me a copy of his book. And so I actually spent about an hour going through the book and I spotted maybe two or three things in that book where I was like, you know what? Those would actually really be good questions for me to ask. I still did my framework when I went in there, but to kind of beef up the framework every now and then, because his answers were on the shorter side. Every blue moon, he would get on there and pontificate about something, but a bulk of his answers were on the shorter side. So I was glad that I did this little bit of research to ask those three or four questions, because at the end, we actually wound up with a 30-minute interview, which was my goal. And I felt, I felt that some parts of the interview were just actually very engaging. So when I share this with you, it's a matter of finding out like, you know, who do you think does great interviews and then studying them? How do they ask the questions? I, I just, I really don't think that having questions prepared ahead of time, it's a great way to get started. But if you are at interview 20, if you are inter at interview 30, it's, it's kind of time for you to you know, put the baby bottle down and stop drinking from the sippy cup and actually sit at the adult table, right? Start to perfect your craft. Fortunately, my clients that work with me understand this and they want to do that too. They want to get better at what it is that they are doing. So because of this, they're willing to make that investment to figure out how can I ask better questions? Right? How can I get more of an answer behind this, right? What are questions that my audience might have that I could pull into this to make it more relatable to them. So don't be afraid to explore this. Don't be afraid to, to ask these particular questions. You do not have to go crazy like I did 
with, you know, two to three hours of research, right? By the way, Tim Ferriss, when I talk about him, like I said, salute his success, his success. He's got a whole staff of people. This is what they do, right? This is what they help him do. I am a one-man band. I don't have all that time. So just kind of throwing that out there. Anyway, if you would like help with your interview process to make the quality of your show better, you can always head over to podcastingwithcliff.com. Sign up for a session today. Link is in the show notes actually down below, uh, but you can sign up for a session today and I can definitely help you out with that. And with that being said, I'm going to leave you be. Have a phenomenal day and I'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.